My name is Jack Elway. And I'm Jay Elway. And we welcome you back to another episode of Like Dragon, Like Sun. Two generations talking about Dungeons and Dragons. And uh, we revisiting the d- Domains of Dread. That's right. Uh, recently, fairly recently, a new book called Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft has been released for 5th edi- uh, edition Dungeons and Dragons, introducing new rule sets but and because, potential adventures. Because we're like two different generations talking D&D, we're not just going to talk 5e today. I'm going to go back, back to the books I got way back when I was a kid, and we're going to compare the new stuff that's come out in Van Richten's with the old stuff, how it used to be, have a little look at where the sources of things came from, and talk a little bit about how we might play those those various domains if uh, we were to be running a game in them. Sure. Where do you want to start there, kiddo? Well, we start off, obviously, at the section that introduces a bunch of new ones. I'm sure some of them are familiar to you, but there's three that I like the look of. And so before we get into what happened in the past or whatever stuff I don't care about. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you can tell us all about your newfangled things, but I promise you they're not going to be any better. I like Ekoth. Ekoth. That's Ekoth, about I. I don't know. Um, Richie Mulloch. I don't know how to pronounce that either. And Tepest. Sorry, what's the second one? Richie Mulloch. It's like R-I-C-H-E-M-U-L-O-T. Right. It could be Richie Mulot. For all I care, I feel like it's a little, little more French, something like that, you know. Right. Although I feel again, I'm still butchering it pretty bad, so I apologize. Okay. But I like these three from the ones that I've uh, read through the main one so far. The other ones. What about like Lamordia? Still good. I like Lamordia too, but um, we can talk about that another day if you want. Right. Ikath, domain, trapped in dream. Uh, with the Dark Lord Tian Chang, Tiang, uh, and dealing with genres such as body horror and cosmic horror, I like this one. Well, and I, I can't, I can't say that you know there there wasn't a thing about this before because back in the day, D and D would only do Oriental stuff badly, mm. and this sort of feels like it's got like an eight, and and I use that word Oriental in the purest sense of the D and D's Oriental adventures. I think the day's word using it in today is terrible. I dislike the the word. Um, Jack and I are based in Asia, have been uh, Jack's whole life. And um, yeah, so I I like Ekath as well today because it actually gives us a a rare chance to feel some like proper Asian vibes. Well, I think it's just a cool location. I mean, the idea is uh, those who enter the uh, realm while awake, you know, find that it's you know all dilapidated and and grossly shifting and it, it all doesn't work structurally and things are always destroying each other and folding in on each other and the whole it's like almost like a labyrinth of messed up buildings and empty nothing like city expanse you know almost city horror type thing is the whole city's ruined right right um, and it's ever shifting right everything is changing all the time with a few exceptions for locations that do appear consistently however while dreaming 
a perfect city of version of the city is constructed by the dark lord uh tian chang tiang who um rules over the domain and forces at pretty much everyone who sleeps in the city because you'll find the them their sleeping bodies right almost inception style crossing inception with some sort of i don't know what else you'd call it like horror i, I don't know how quite how to describe it it's been a week since I first like looked at it, but I, the the idea is that people are trapped in dream here, and that there's it, though the city looks perfect, there's there's darkness behind the corners, and people can't wake up, and things like that. Yeah, some noteworthy features of the place are that citizens of the vast city sleep endlessly in their homes. Those who wake feel pangs of starvation, where now food is more valuable uh, than gold. Jiangxi haunt the streets, tearing down whole districts and rebuilding them. Tianchang uh, rule, rules the city from her palace of bones, and uh, she like rules over people's dreams and constantly drafts plans. And she had four, you know daughters that, while beautiful and perfect in the dream world, are gross, monstrous creatures and. In the, or at least to her, in the the daytime. And the streets and row homes of Ikoth change nightly, making navigation next to impossible. And the city has a single exit, the Four Trees Gate, but few know how to reach it. So how would you play this with having characters sort of, you know, between two different worlds, one of sort of a waking state and one that's a dream state? Do you play both of those, like two different worlds that they're bouncing back and forth mm-hmm. between and that are there like recurring characters characters that exist in their dream states also exist in and do they, is it a collective dream type thing is that the way it works mm-hmm. when they're all dreaming it's a different well it's Tian chang's Tiang's dream right right so you're all inside it in a way it's outside. her dream of a perfect city right? right which literally becomes the dream right but the waking world is it's terrible um and so she keeps everyone asleep by ringing her bell on the bell tower what's it called the bell tower is called ping on tower i believe so is there things you're trying to get done while you're in the non-dream state but that's like all tough and difficult because it's like the world's you know horrible and coming at you um, well there's her, and then her is it is the Jiangxi. are the nighttime encounters where you're asleep more like social interaction and intrigue or sure i mean i think you could rule it that way there aren't many like rules but it's some guidance on how you'd run the dark lord her whole story i mean i won't spoil it too much but her whole story is that you know she had she's like a mage in training but her home was destroyed and she wants to become a you know a ruler that everyone respects and create a great city but of course due to the nature of a dread domain it sort of torments her as it will never be perfect and it's always changing and uh, no matter how well she can force everyone in the uh, in the dream world to to work out her commands and even if they followed it perfectly it would still be imperfect and so she's chasing an endless dream of creating the perfect city um and evading while also trying to you know evading her daytime monstrous rake, waking world creations of her daughters and um instead of appeasing the dream of what they they could have been and once were um, she has a bunch of handy sort of magic items, like uh, her favorite being an ornate robe that's functions similar to uh, a handy haversack mixed with a wings of flying. She's got all sorts of plans as well. If you want to read up on how you'd play her, um, all sorts of like like in in all the domains as well, you'll see that they have like it'll give you their personality traits, ideals, bond, flaws as if they're characters instead of giving you a stat block on how to run them. Although it often like compares like oh you could just use a major stat block. Uh, if you wanted to, upping it a little bit, giving her more spells if you want, that sort of idea, right? 
Um, also gives you their sort of torments as well as different adventures that could happen, like smaller adventures. I think overall, maybe you want to think about the campaign. Do you? How do you end the dream? It talks about how to end the dream in some manners or to wake people up, but that people are trapped in dreams. So you can decide, do you want your players to be trapped in the dream world or traversing both? Uh, in some ways, it's a quest of being able to navigate, of course, a forbidden waking city, um, which is dangerous in itself and, and roamed by un powerful undead called Jiangxi, um, Jiangxi, whatever you want to call it. And in the, the night world, there's forced labor where perhaps the, the character is even conscribed or made a part of that curse in some sense. Um, some potential adventures, roll a d10. Do you have a d10 somewhere? Just give me a number between one and 10. Six. Jiangxi, which is a powerful sort of undead servant of, of the main Batty approaches the characters and asks them to locate one or more of her lost family members within the dream city. She's worried about what's become of her family. Their body should be in the city, but she's lost track of them. And so, of course, hard to navigate. This could be, there'd be all sorts of fetch quests and, I mean, perhaps not helping this could involve then some sort of encounter, things like that. It's a spooky sort of city, in a sense, where, of course it is. I mean, all the settings are. But there's also sort of things you can run, like the nature of a dream, where if someone dies, they just take 3d6 psychic damage and return to the waking world, um, not benefiting from rest. So maybe that's like, you know, players are more willing to go do whatever because of they know that if they'll, just, they'll probably just wake up in real life in the waking world once again, you know. Maybe they want to. Maybe they specifically betray so they wake up the next day, right? Uh, I think the dream ends if the Nightingale Bell isn't rung from Ping On Tower. There's several cool locations as well that I think you do. There could be heists from the big palace confrontation, trying to like see people through in the waking world. That are like, what are they doing in the waking world? You know, how did they escape the dream? What's going on? You know, and well, the creation of Jiangxi stuff like that. Yeah, so you, you kind of could do some Inception style mm -hmm. things with that. That's kind sure. of cool. And whether players choose to dream or not dream certain nights or things like that. But I believe if you have exhaustion, you can't escape. Unless, except from the idea of sort of being killed by it, right? There are four daughters, and I sort of like the way that it, it describes them in a certain sense. Of, of course, they all share the, a similar family name as most, like, as sort of Asian things are sort of formatted. Like, you know, my our Chinese family name is would be O, like O-U, O, um, sort of looks like the Chu symbol. Um where this is Tian, right? So there's her four daughters, Lei'an, Man-Yi, Xiu-Mei, uh, and uh, Wai-Ching. Xiu-Mei kind of sounds like Xiu-Mei. Um, but things like describing she's made entirely of eyes and has the statistics of a scarecrow. Um, and they have like all their own sort of wishes. Um, or like w one daughter is made of pale wood and must remain near a willow tree, you know, in, in the Palace of Bones or in the Gemstone Garden, right? Sumei uh, uh, is made entirely of teeth or things like that, right? And often they're they're friendly, but of course they appear monstrous. And there could be encounters if you know players choose to attack them. But I think that could be fun encounters with them right. too. For th for those of you out in Radio Land who can hear some clattering and things in the background and wondering why I'm a little bit quiet, I'm um, I'm currently playing with our cat, our familiar, who has the most amazingly uncanny timing to as soon as we start podcasting. Um, show up and cause disruptions as much noise as possible. Yeah. So, um, but mean, this yeah, we, is why we have. We, we should feel, have, I almost feel like this ties into the domains of dread. Like it's our part of our torment. Yeah. This is this is one of those like dark lord, dark bargain type things. You're gonna have a, a cute, fluffy 
thing in your life that is just going to torment you. Well, I feel like this is why we should have picked the prepared calm emotions, but we always forget. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I just like the I like the whole vibe of this setting. I can picture it. There's not a whole lot of art, but there's some cool art for Tian, uh, Chiang and you know the Jiangxi hunting after people in the streets. I think it could be a fun setting to do some spooky things. You know, because the I imagine even the waking world there is no sunlight. Maybe there was meant to be. I don't imagine it with sunlight, just personally. But up to you how you want to roll it i imagine the the dreaming world being all golden and like street lamp lit at all times whereas the the waking world is there's no natural lighting you know besides perhaps some sort of spilling pooling light from the the nightingale bell like the crack in the nightingale bell which illuminates the the entire Ooh, you know bleak. thing i mean who knows um i think a lot of the horror here comes from like the unescapable you know dream world and endlessly changing labyrinths and streets and things like that right i think it'd be interesting to wonder how you'd run a long-term campaign here if you just stay here for a couple of days or to try and find someone trapped in the dream world you know if you're doing a whole ravenloft adventure where you're hopping from domain to domain um and maybe you're not even like solving any of them maybe you're just paying a visit for a specific reason i could see that perhaps the characters are trying to find someone well, like a wanderer of the mists that's an interesting question like, here in dream as a dm if you were like okay i want to tap into a bunch of these different ones um you know how do i how do i plan it so they you know yeah we don't we're not going to spend a long time here but they end up in this sort of dream state with her and you do like a little mini arc of having to deal with like this particular dread lord and this particular dream state thing and then you move on to another domain of dread. Is that like mm -hmm. kind of how you might see something like this Well, I going? think it's, it's entirely possible with this new book. I mean, it gives you a bunch of domains. It doesn't go super in-depth, so where you can sort of shape it yourself. What I'd like to like see someone do is like make some sort of like big boat or like mist traveling like vehicle yeah um that like the whole party goes through and it's like there's like some sort of strange captain to it that they don't quite understand or like some strange functionality or dark thing they have to put in because it all the domains also have like a mist talismans which let you get there and so maybe that involves like you give people certain mist talismans and it's their choice to go to whatever domain they wish you know but sure. the fates have a way of you know Giving Maybe it a reason some sort or whatever, of spooky, right? yeah. I mean, either like a boat that crosses things, or a train station, or they're trying to just or even something. Get, leave the domains of dread, or find some way to, you know, just escape the mists yeah. in a way where they always end you, up somewhere. Some sort dark. of like TARDIS that just got a really bad, yeah, uh, you know, guidance system. Exactly. But I, I, you, you sort of have to establish how a ship would work in each setting because not all are have bodies of water, but I think some work very well with it. There's some that are very island-based. I don't think we'll look too close at those today, but I can imagine there could be a port for Ikoth that then rolls into the mist, and so your ship arrives at the the weird like city. Everything doesn't make sense. Why is this here? And, and you know, you come the next, you know, you sleep, and everyone rolls to see if they awaken the dream, and if you do, if you don't, whatever, right? I think from there you can have fun with both things and the reveal of the, the dream setting of the domain and things like that. And I, I really do actually like the daughters of the setting and how they're like, just like you can really have some cool ideas with that because like they all have their own wishes that you could, I imagine there'd be four different quests for that sort of thing, right? Anyways, I think that's a cool setting. Is there anything like that for earlier editions? No, I, I and again, I, I really think it has to do with the fact that 
D and D's getting better at bringing in um, like Asian contributors and being more authentic and having better cultural mm-hmm. consultants and looking to try and find ways to be more inclusive and bring more stuff around sure. um, rather than just sort of picking and choosing like kind of really lame stereotypical sort of stuff that um, you know you've seen in like really bad B movies from the 80s um, so yeah I think this is I think this is like one of the nicer sort of hey here's a story from another part of the world um, and that's great yeah I think it's a cool setting moving on to another domain of dread again I tried to pronounce this one earlier Rishmulo Rishmulo so Rishmulo so even in a sort of name we get a we get a bit more of a French vibe uh, mm. with it uh, in the olden days it was uh, Jacqueline Renier who was the Lord and well, the she law. still is the Dark Lord. Hey, who who'd have thunk? Does this exist in previous editions? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Uh, she was a a wear person. Was she still a wear person? She is still a wear person. Do you know what kind of wear? Yeah, she used to be a wear rat. She is still a wear rat. Wow. See, folks, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah. Well, before, uh, but most, of course, there most folks don't all know these, that but... wear rats infest the land. Uh, sure. And uh, but those who cannot say who among the creatures is the leader um yeah most folks the, so yeah the people who do know that the were rats are all over the place don't know that jacqueline's in, in charge uh it was sort of how the original story went uh there used to be three large towns all with french names there was pont a monsieur yep still exists M- monsieur mm-hmm. uh saint rongers yeah it's still there and Morting, Mortingi, 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 Mortingi. Yep. Not the easiest names to pronounce, but I'm sure, I'm sure you can get around that. Um, maybe it's just us again. Our French is not so good. <laughs> yeah. Domain of disease, isolation, and were rats. Uh, here it sort of suggests that you run with the idea of disaster horror and gothic horror. And I think this one's especially sort of funny given. It is an older one, but it somehow really mirrors 2020 COVID somehow. Yeah. Because it's all about how um, the plague comes all the time. Yeah. This so realm. this is like a plague rat realm sort of thing, right? That, um, yeah. So this, in the old one, it was one of the cities this was sort of like all boarded up. Um, sort of like all these people sort of like huddling and hiding inside. It's a bit of a... Yeah, it's a bit of a shelter-in-place sort of vibe, isn't it? Um, well, there's it's this one describes it more as a back and forth where sometimes the the realm swings perpetually. Your well, it swings between perpetually uh, in hope and despair. Some days the sun rises over a city as if it were an ordinary city and not one in which many of the buildings stand empty and abandoned. On those days, people move freely through the open gates and the silent, heavily armored guards of the Casque-Silenceau watch over the calm promenades, uh, promenades and markets. Uh, but a day or week or month later, the first telltale cough cracks amid the crowd. As people evacuate the streets and lock their doors, rats crawl from the sewers in tremendous numbers. Shortly thereafter, the gates slam shut. No doctors come, no information arrives. The populace is left to die. And so there's this gnawing plague that 
always sort of comes in phases and is, you know, no one ever really builds immunity to it. It just keeps coming back and back and back. And then sometimes when everyone dies, mysteriously people walk out from the mists and repopulate it. Um, does it have uh, anything mentioning how if uh, your players try to leave the realm, uh, how a horde of giant rats surges from every dark corner and shadow forming a border at least 50 feet thick to seal the, the border? So- yeah, well, here's closing the borders in the, the description here. Most of them do include how does the Dark Lord control the borders, etc. When Jacqueline Renier wishes to close her domain's borders, the mists rise at the edge of the lands. Uh, additionally, the mists are filled with swarms of rats. Endless waves of them attack any creature that enters the mists. Yeah. So if she wants to close the borders and leave so, yeah, everything but to it, die to it, plague. It used to describe it as a 50-foot thick wall of rats, mm. which is kind of nuts. Like, I... I do you, does it need to be that thick? Like, why couldn't it have just been a 10-foot thick wall of rats? I mean, it's a wall of rats. Mm. What are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. Um, it's a funny one. I'm not sure I, I would necessarily have a wall of rats. That's, I mean, I well, guess it's really gross and it's weird. Just, they just why they just call it a swarm of rats. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's uh, that one's kind of... Again, as a DM... What would your what would you sort of run as a as a mission in that one? Well, there's trying to save people from the plague, dealing with waves upon waves of rats, uncovering the mysterious political intrigue of the certain families and noble people who are then revealed, trying to save the people. Of course, there's some level of futility to it, which makes the sense of why I do anything here. Yeah. Um, I feel a little bit, um, but it, there's fun rules for each stage of the outbreak you know maybe it could even just be the characters arriving here and just having to survive like a season you know and not succumb to the gnawing plague you know and trying to save as many people as they can while it happens sort of some sort of survival story sure why not i mean this one might be too on the nose after covid but yeah but it could also be a hopeful sort of thing like if you sort of had a time limit that set that the characters have to go through and you sort of we we'll just gotta get through the four stages. With an increasing level sure. of, of sort of things that go on, and at the end of that, there is there is an escape, there is a way out. Um, that I don't know, maybe that is worth fighting towards. Maybe that's that's you know it gives us a chance to role play, to fantasize a way out of something now that you know does seem to be like where's the end to it? When's when are we getting? To, where, where's our freedom coming? Mm. Uh, it'd be nice to know if we like, oh, if we just can get through this last phase where everybody has to get, I have to, my players have to get uh, everybody vaccinated. <laughs> well, there's no vaccination in, in this. Everyone just dies or the disease dies. Well, maybe there's, maybe we, maybe there's a little, there's, you know, some sort of uh, quest for herbs and potion brewing and alchemy and maybe you could have a maybe a real brewer i think sort it's of really designed that game. that only where rats are immune to it so maybe contracting lycanthropy is maybe, the solution maybe lycanthropy is the cure <laughs> well it is the, the whole maybe, point is that the rats don't get it they give yeah. it to others and they well, don't maybe, suffer maybe from it. but maybe this is a good one to play with some other form of non-rat lycanthropy players mm. uh, some other way to go about you know them infesting infesting infecting as many people with like their werewolf variety or their were tigers or whatever they are mm. sure fun. interesting idea uh if nothing else it, it offers a fun rule for a plague if you so choose um i think 
adapting some of these to be less ratish could be fun. Um, but upon infection, there must be a DC 10 con save or becoming uh, or you become infected. Um, this DC can change depending on the cycle of the plague and events that happen. Uh, symptoms take 1d2 days, so like roll a d6 and 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 are each of the results, right? Uh, the infected creature then gains one level of exhaustion, regaining only half the normal hit points from spending hit dice, and regains no hit points from finishing a long rest, which really sucks. So maybe you infect all your players, and then it becomes something, some other kind of like survival upon really difficult, ultra hard, no healing like mode um, type thing, right? Uh, the symptoms include bubo, bubos, is that what you call it? Uh, fatigue, spotchy rashes, sweats and shaking, particular facial tremors. Locals uh, liken these to twitches uh, to the sniffing of rats. Sufferers often have scraps of leather placed in their mouth to prevent their teeth from chattering, although they uh, inevitably, inevitably gnaw through these scraps. Kind of spooky. <laughs> Rat chattering tooth, stuff like that. Recovery at the end of each long rest, an infected creature must make a DC 10 con save. You can adjust this if you want. On a fail, to gain a level of exhaustion. On a success, the exhaustion is decreased. If a successful save reduces an infected creature's level of exhaustion below 1, the creature recovers from disease. And, by the way, all rats and were-rats are immune to the effects of the gnawing plague. Interesting. There you go. I think it's a fun setting. I think it deals with were-rats, which a lot of people don't think about too much. I think it's kind of fun. Could it have also, some fun political intrigue like and survival stuff. It also to do and, like, characters with like doctor backgrounds or healer's sure. feats. Or Definitely. Herbalism and brewer's kits and alchemy stuff. And maybe finding yourself some cool supplements that are all about curing diseases and how you're going to go about that. And you could you could do something that was, you know that had layers of intrigue like that you know the cures are there but there's like there's various people in the towns and stuff that are hoarding those things for their own power or trying to leverage them to get you know favor with things and then you got to figure out how you're going to build Jacqueline sort of into the overall story what it is that she craves and wants mm. um what is it about this the disease the plague itself that is so that she's so in love with it it's so empowering to her and her rat cult or however you want to describe them so i mean there's not there's not a ton of information in these so while it gives you it gives you this sort of a real like interesting setting and vibe it really is up to you as a dm to start to brainstorm ideas for how you'd sort of flesh these things out more yeah, I mean, most of these settings are kind of like that a little bit. Yeah, and they always, just they you always the, used to the be structure. as well. Like, they're, they're a page, a couple of paragraphs that describe the land, you know, how the closing of the bore works, the people there, and some of the encounters you might have in that space. Um, mm. And then the rest is kind of up to you as a DM to sort of take that if you want and run with it. Yeah. We now... Um, is there anything else you want to touch on about? No. Uh, it's always been a, a place where uh, the uh, there's a piece of artwork of a, a rat a were rat holding a baby which i also think <laughs> is cool yeah quite uh, there's another quite cool rare, one in the the updated one where it's like someone surrounded by were rats and rats from all sides coming in on them which i think is very cool yeah i sort of think Jacqueline could be i don't know there could be like a motherly element in there some sort as well Ooh, well if you want to look for a motherly element in your dark lord look no further than the domain of tapest a very different kind of horror in some ways, focusing on folk horror, if you will. Uh, 
dealing with certain fey bargains, the worship of nature, rural festivals, and secret sacrifices. Um, if you've ever watched Midsummer, this gives me big Midsummer vibes. That kind of horror, which is always super fun to play with. You could also do some fun psychological horror, I think, with this if you is wanted this, to. Is this got three hags running the place? It's actually only got one, what? surprisingly. Hags are better in threes. Maybe. They have a coven rule for that. Well, there's actually special rules for this hag ah. who has learned to exploit her sisters despite their trapped nature. Oh, so the sisters are trapped somewhere. Well, she's trapped them. Right. Okay. Before it. we spoil too much, and I think I've already perhaps said everything that's hidden about the campaign, but well, whatever. This if you were watching this, this episode, episode, you knew DMs. that there was going to be spoilers. Uh, this is a DM episode. Put a little DM disclaimer in the title or something. Yeah. Uh... Uh, this is a domain of nature's cruel secrets. Does it exist in previous editions? Yeah, yeah. Tepes exists before. Um, it's interesting. It says that the three hags that um, rule Tepes together, forming the only known triumvirate leadership of a domain, like no other domain had three people working together to run it, um, three creatures, which is was an interesting idea to start with. I mean, and... Hags and covens often, and I think of them as sort of like a super organism anyways. Mm. They cast spells together. They're more powerful together as a collective. Um, now it only has one Dark Lord. Yeah. Mother Lorinda, who very much so wants to be perceived as a mother um, in most senses of the word. Um, if I can read a little bit of perhaps mm -hmm. mood, some setting to get you into the vibe. All is well in Tepest. Fields shine with the golden hues of a bountiful harvest, and horde village ch horned village children res uh, happily recite sing-song rhymes. But those who linger among this land's pastures and the colorful cottages can't escape the feeling of being watched, or the impression that the idyllic fields have a distinct somber cast. The locals dismiss such worries as the tricks of scheming fay, but their smiles fail to mask the desperation in their eyes. Brutality wears a welcoming face in Tepest, a truth embodied by the ancient hag Lorinda, who betrayed her coven in the pursuit of a daughter to love. Taking the, uh, taking the guise of a deity called Mother, Lorinda has adopted the entire village of Victal, protecting its people from the nature's whims so they can feed her cursed offspring. Meanwhile, lingering in the forests and hiding beneath the earth, resentful fae watch and plot, offering cruel bargains to those who wander beyond Mother's sight. The people of Victal, Tepest's only remaining community, do what they must for, uh, to survive, using tradition and faith to cloak their fear of the wilds and their complicity in a cycle of murder. Strangers are symbols of hope to them, either as a promise of a life free from terror or as a potential sacrifice for their next necessary slaughter. Kind of fun. Wow. Very fun. I actually think this is, of, my, of the domains introduced in the book, one of my favorites that I'd actually like to run. Uh, Victal is the only noteworthy community in Tempest. There's not like multiple things going on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the idyllic village's residents devoutly follow the optimistic, naturalistic faith of the god known as Mother. Supposedly, no one born there ever wants to leave. Fun little horror there. You could have someone born from uh, this location, from Tepest, and actually encourages people born here to try playing the new Hexblood option. Check our previous episode if you want to learn a little bit more about that. Uh, frequent festivals in Victal include fertility celebration called the Tithe, which occurs each season. You can imagine this is, you know, this is what you build suspense around, you know. The, oh, of course we must give tithings to mother, right? 
uh, caves dot the land, connecting to a deeper caverns where dangerous fae dwell. Um, the people of Victal fear the fae and blame them for every accident and ill. I think you would have like a fun reveal where the fae are obviously pointed as like evil creatures, and they're suddenly revealed as suddenly perhaps much less evil than the controlling Lorinda. You know, maybe not per se good, but. Um, and that's you know not far off from where where it was or like I can see where it's building on in the in the original one um, Tepestian Tepestians Tepestanese is what they were called the people who live in Tempest um, were a superstitious Tepestani lot, yeah believing in little beasties and evil spirits that kidnap wicked people when the night falls the doors shut tight the folks even lock up. Their herds and circular roofed stables made of timber and twigs. The wood in the domain burns poorly with a lot of smoke. Hence, dried animal dung often fuels a fire. The idea that they're they're trying to keep out these fey mm. beasties, these little you know creatures from the other side. Um, which, well, this is now often connected with Mother as their offerings to her keep the dangers at bay and the you know fields plentiful, if you will. In a sense of that, you know, classic old folk tale, sacrifice to some strange god to bring us increased fertility, increased whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is really just the actions of a hag who is sort of exploiting them, trapping them um, in a way. Uh, if you are coming from this location, what do you love about Tepest? Because you're sort of always brainwashed into being like, this is a lovely place. You'd never want to leave. Uh, how uh, do you feel the, about Mother? In, in the original one, they, there's a lake that's got sturgeon that's renowned for its caviar. Is it? Again, weird details. Like, why they included that, but not more like specific details about... How to run the adventure. What she actually wants. I mean, I'm like, am I, my character's going after caviar? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, there um, is actually lakes near Victor. And what sort of surprises me is how big the map is, despite being focused pretty much all on the single town of Victor, which takes up a tiny little section in the middle. Almost. Uh, middle well, left. Is, that, is that then sort of saying to you, look, you, you want to run a rural superstitious sort of thing, you know, uh, mm. something of of a season perhaps it is a springtime type story a story of uh fertility a time of uh you know trying to to work on you know a lot of those sort of themes and motifs together um mm. sure i do have another actual document here as well that has the hags in it well i could talk um, a little bit about mother lorinda yeah. First, there's a cool image for her, I think, in the in the book too. Here, uh, sort of showcasing a green hag, but less than you'd like think. Big nose and very almost Yoda-ish in a way. When I first sort of look at it, uh, Lorinda, Lavida, and Leticia, the Mindefisk Minde uh, uh, sisters, were gifted from the fairies to their lonely mother, a kind, honest woman who wanted daughters to cherish. Their brutish father and brothers resented the girls, whose suffering grew worse after their mother died. Desiring a better life, the sisters began preying upon travelers who passed by their secluded home. They murdered wealthy strangers, stole their valuables, and disposed of the bodies in the family stew pot. The sisters' wickedness was revealed, and when they squabbled over a stranger, they all fancied and ultimately murdered the traveler. When the rest of the family discovered their terrible deeds, the sisters killed their father and brothers. As their murder spree unfolded, the mists rose, and when they cleared, unfamiliar mountains and land called Tapest surrounded the sisters' simple valley home, and their true nature as vicious hags manifested. 
Hey, that's actually not far off from. Uh, so I was looking. It's another um, older book from second edition that was just called Dark Lords, um, that actually talks about the three hags. There initially were actually three different hags as well. One was a sea hag, one was a uh, anise hag, and the last was a green hag. Mm. Um, and that it's no coincidence that these three ladies all shared a domain once long ago. They were all sisters. Uh, beautiful young creatures with milk white skin and hair the color of honey they were the daughters of a farmer and his wife but the girls aspired to be more much more and much mm. more they would become from the strange fay of tepest the three hags learned magic that they used to prey upon the humans of nearby valleys so what's her name now uh, mother lorinda just lorinda so there used to be letitia yep. lavida mm-hmm. and yeah, and Lorinda. Lorinda was the youngest sister. These are all the same. Became a green hag, standing she five is a green tall. Hag. Yeah, quite short. Uh, over generations, they became known as fickle sages and weavers of doom and miracles. Those strangers sought them out uh, eventually, you know, for things like that. Um, they were, you know, fairly obviously like hags are making suspicious deals they sowed blessings in despair in equal measure you know uh, and would give hex blood children uh from their own cauldron in time the haglorinda asked her sister to help create a child of her own but levita and leticia refused loathing the idea of sharing their magics and secrets in secret lorinda assembled a creature of animal parts brambles and foul magic with its help she ambushed her sisters and trapped them inside their own magic cauldron soon after lorinda's creation fell apart and she used magic stolen from her imprisoned sisters ever since to create flawed hungry beings she calls her children she manipulates the people of tepest to provide excellent meals for her daughter there's some funny rules on her daughter essentially she creates many children all of which are her daughter um, and they usually last maybe a couple weeks and then they die. And so she, she just makes another one. And that's, and that really, that's how so many of the dark Lords are actually kind of tragic characters that end up repeating their mistakes again and again and suffering, mm. um, again and again from that. And so I have to actually wonder as a DM, if you're not, you know, if you play them kind of right, that the, the PCs almost maybe could see themselves as freeing this dark creature from their torment by, well, either somehow breaking the cycle or killing them. Yeah. But can they kill them by the nature of the mists? I think it's up to you as a DM yeah. to decide. Oh, that's just it. Can you kill Strahd or not? Or does he just come back? You know, much like everything that dies well, in the mists, they often, not just yeah, That's what that people say, that those they've tr- people have tried to kill him before. No, he stays dead for maybe a couple years and then returns once again from his crypt or whatever, right? Lorinda's torment involves her desire to have a a family but her murderous nature leading her to destroy everything she creates. She constantly doubts the uh, adoration she receives from her daughters and worshippers. She requires constant proof of their love. And though she can create uh, hexblood children, hexblade children (laughs) for others, any being she fashions for herself is monstrous, ravenous, and short-lived, and she does fear that one day her sisters will escape and take their revenge on her, which they will if they do escape. Um, she is quick to dote on others in a way, like calling them pet names like Lostling, Caterpillar, or Sweet Skin, um, and insists that everything calls her mother, especially people of Victal, or her daughters. Um, 
again, more personality traits. I'm the greatest parent in the world. I just need children worthy of my love. Uh, and fun sort of adventures that you could run in the city, throughout the world, with some strange fae creatures, things like that. Um, here, give me a number between 1 and 10. Uh, 7. A grieving villager begs the characters to take their deceased loved one to the cauldron, a pool set to restore life to a corpse bathed in its waters. The villager says nothing of the terrible price the pool's magic exacts. And so then you could try and decide what is this terrible price. I wonder if there is actually. Sure. Well, the terrible price would be that you're now in debt to mm. Lorinda. Lorinda, was it? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Mother Lorinda. That now you owe Mother a favor. Mm. <laughs> I, I just know that the cauldron, if unsealed, does bad things. But another fun thing about the place is the gurgle, which is very, like, strange gurgle? Slavic fun like name for some crazy creature right those who venture into the wilds on a moonlit night see a massive shape silently lumbering through tempest's woods the gurgle a structure of thorns wicker and giant bones appears as a misshapen tower-like nest balanced on three skeletal dragon legs lorinda and her daughter lowry's uh, which is again all her daughters dwell inside this mobile fortress which holds lorinda's kitchen laboratory uh, oh. Lars's nur- nursery oubliette. Oubliette being a fun thing. You know what an oubliette is? It's like an old French torture thing where you, it's like a wine-shaped cell that you drop someone in. Oh, right. Um, just to forget. They can't crawl out because of the, the shape, shape of, of it. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the old cauldron, a plugged pot where Lorinda's coven sisters languish. The gurgle ranges across Tepest at Lorinda's will and might appear anywhere. The vig- villagers of Victol know the gurgle serves their god in some way, but citing it pretends bad luck. So a part of it makes me wonder, is the old cauldron connected to the gurgle? I don't, is there gurgle on the map like that I can see? I don't really see gurgle but it's, on it's the map. The, it's but the old walking, it's the old, creeping again, hut idea. Exactly. But um, it, it's a different sort of take yeah, on it, if yeah. you will. It is. And um, the fact that sort of people fun. have got, given it a name and think Gurgle. of it as like another creature. Was, yeah. Um, that's great. Yeah. It's always, always love a good cr- walking creeping hut of some sort mm. and then of course there's whole rules for tithes and it's a bunch of like fun nothing skill checks that amount to you being eaten <laughs> essentially like if you win a bunch of them and like the players might want to be like oh yes of course i'll you know we'll win all these fun whatever activities and then end up being attacked by a minotaur well there's actually also lets you roll a d6 to see what kind of learned his daughter what sat block it uses and it gives you some like potential forms like uh, a humanoid made of wicker is a shambling mound. A bipedal wolf elk is the new loop guru. <laughs> bipedal elk. Um, uh, very, uh, what is it, Wendigo-esque? Yeah, yeah. Uh, shivering hairless rabbit bear is an adom- uh, ab- abominable, abominable yeti. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a giant shrieking bipedal sheep would be a garistro, things like that. And they actually do go up in CR. And so if you want something that is more suited to whatever level you're playing it at, because, again, it doesn't really suggest what level an adventure you could run. It could be any level, really. Um, it's got things that fit your party, no matter what level, um, from 3 to 17, which I think is kind of fun. And that's what I really like about the place. It feels like I could really, I feel I could run a location or some sort of adventure in Tepest for sure. Just yeah. given the whole folk horror aspect to it, I think it's it's got enough to it in comparison with some of the other ones where I feel like I could actually run this one pretty well. Not to say that I couldn't run the other ones. I just well, think those ones well, take a little bit more. If you, if you had a yeah. third one to pick, what would it be? 
What do you mean? What other domain? If you... Those are three domains. Ikoth, Richemolo, and Tepest to oh. choose from if we wanted to go to any of those. Oh. Do you have any others? Well, those are sort of my main three. Um, do you have a fourth? Do you have I a th- think Lamordia was kind of cool as well. Do you have a third one that I might have? I've got Lamordia as well. Mm. So tell us about Lamordia. Um. A little bit. I know it is a domain of snow and stitched flesh, uh, run by the Dark Lord Victra Mordenheim and dealing with body horror, gothic horror sort of stuff. It sort of blends that classic winter survival, I feel, with um, weird uh, creation Frankenstein monster type stuff. Yeah, the the cold bit, um, I don't know how much where that necessarily has come through, but uh, yeah, uh, Mordenheim, which is... D&D's version of Frankenstein, essentially, mm. um, is the the Lord and the Law here. Um, well, in the actually in the second edition one, it was his monster, which was named Adam, who was the Lord. Right. Um, where I think now it's actually Mordenheim himself, right? I it, not it's herself actually. Oh, herself. Oh, yeah. that's nice. They did a little gender twitch switch on it. That's great. Yeah, uh, there's photos of again, her near the beginning. My I point think, about as well. I made earlier, uh, you know, five E is working harder to be more inclusive and in creating, you know, more characters that, you know, represent a lot more people, which is fantastic. Although she is, uh, there's someone called Baron von. Or yeah. Obrecker? Yeah, and that's true. All Lamordians often believe that Baron von Obrecker was the real govern, governor of the land. And um, he's constructed a new body for himself, it appears. Maybe lost it somehow? Not quite sure. There, I'm sure there's a history to it. Um, and Dr. Mordenheim wanted to essentially defeat death. She right. learned how to create life and so it's set, as a great you're doctor saying it's set in or surgeon north in the snow somewhere now. well here's one so it used to be okay. used to be more of a seaside it was still like kind of like a north northwestern seaside sort of town but i could sort of always sort of imagine like lighthouse shipwreck storm sort of vibes sure. lots of lightning you know because you got to light up those uh those corpses somehow those flesh golems sure they aren't going to power themselves do you can i give a little bit of history on victra um where she was a child prodigy, um, but became obsessed with the complexities of human anatomy at an early age. She taught herself medicine and learned how to eventually create life uh, through magic and perceive, or no, actually, no, she perceived magic as stealing the powers of otherworldly beings and cheating the laws of nature. And she sought instead to use her mind to master the world. Um, she began showing signs of in, uh, an incurable wasting disease. Uh, her, someone, Elise, I think it was just someone who she was perhaps in love with or something like that. Hmm. Um, it was, I, you can create whatever backstory you want, really. I'm p- probably butchering this. It was the first time either woman had felt the pangs of despair. In the months that followed, Dr. Mordenheim desperately hastened her experiments to try and save Elise. Um, on her operating tables, victims were killed, returned to life, and died again. As Mordenheim sought to glimpse the, the secrets hidden in the instant of death, one moonless night, Elise fell into a sleep from which she wouldn't wake. Bringing Elise to her lab, Dr. Mordenheim worked feverishly for days to save her, pouring what she learned from a thousand deaths into saving one life. Elise became the recipient of the doctor's masterpiece, the end to disease and death, an artificial organ Mordenheim called the Unbreakable Heart. But as she stitched the miraculous device into the place, constables burst into the lab and accused the doctor of facilitating numerous murders. As Dr. Mordenheim struggled against arrest, smoking chemicals and arcing electricity filled the lab 
laboratory before she lost consciousness. She saw Elise rise from the table, the unbreakable heart glowing within her behind golden stitches. Dr. Mordenheim awoke in Lamordia, an unfamiliar land where her genius was celebrated. Elise and the un unbreakable heart were nowhere to be found, but the doctor soon heard rumors of a glowing woman wandering the icy wastes. Since then, Mordenheim has continued her experiments on the dead and living, striving to recreate her successes and failing every time. Between disappointments, she searches the hinterlands, hoping to find Elise and with her the miracle of the unbreakable heart. Uh, on top of that, in the old one, they uh, also decided to throw in uh, a little story, sub-story, that Van Richten, in one of his vampire guides, talks about, uh, also from this sort of second edition, was the uh, sinister child vampire, Marilee, mm. um, who ends up, I think, killing um, his assistant or something, uh, if I remember the story right. Anyway, she's in this domain as well. So they had a few of these sort of um, other sort of accessory sort of adventures sort of muddled together. Um, I like the fact they've kind of keeping it a little bit more clean. And they've got, a, again, a tortured sort of story to it that's a bit better. And actually, I was looking at the you know previous thing about closing the borders. And it was blizzards that would close the borders, which um, mm -hmm. is probably where they yeah, get the... Yeah, it's similar here. When doctor, so Dr. Mordenheim can control it, the borders. Uh, when she chooses to close them, temperatures across the domain drop below zero and driving snow scours the land. Those who reach the mists find they function uh, right. Uh, it's just classical rules for mists if you want to read them up. Um, I like that she's actually got a, a bunch of features, like a powers that she actually has. Like she can create literally any construct or corporeal undead by working in her laboratory for a number of uninterrupted days equal to the ch creature's challenge rating literally anything that's crazy she can spend that's a pretty awesome superpower yeah five days to make a flesh golem um zero days just as like maybe an hour to make a homunculus uh what zombies are there one quarter like a couple hours to make a zombie <laughs> of course obviously having the right materials death's heads brain in jars things like that um any construct construct you want she can make theoretically as a dm if you wanted to continuously throw fun creations at your player she can make them uh, reborn maker a side effect of dr mordenheim's experiment is the creation of reborn it takes her 1d4 days and the dead bodies of two medium small uh medium or small humanoids to create one reborn um so your ca a character that you play might be a creation of dr mordenheim interesting um, in a way there was um, apparently a novel written back in the 90s uh, called Mortenheim, which the old uh, guide suggests that if you want to, you know, do more, you know, create adventures around them that you should go read the novel, which is a funny thing to sort of see, you mm. know, like, do you Product imagine placement. today as well? Like, yeah, like in inside D&D, &D, they'd be like, oh yeah, here's our, uh, our new, you know, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft Supplement. And uh, yeah, if you want to know more about that, you should read these novels that we're also producing. Yeah. It's a little um, funny. Uh, but there was also another another module on the outside of this one called um, Adam's Wrath, uh, which was based on the Isle of Agony, which was all about confronting the mm. Morden, Mordenheim's monster. I think instead of it being Adam, now it's Elise. Yeah, it's interesting. They switched both of them to, to interesting, and, and a little less like on the nose, Adam and Eve. Classic, you know, yeah. About the whole thing. Which is kind of fun. One more thing that she can do. Brain swap. 
Yay. She can swap people's brains. That's so much fun. Uh, she can place a creature's brain or head into another body, moving it from a donor to a recipient. The process requires the donor to have a brain and either be incapacitated or to have been dead for less than 24 hours. In an operation that takes one hour, the doctor transfers the donor's brain or head from their body to an incapacitated or dead corporeal body of a creature without a brain. The donor awakes one hour later with control of the recipient's body. Uh, while controlling the recipient's body, the donor retains their alignment, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma scores. Otherwise, they use the recipient's body why, statistics, why are they but so don't gain about alignment? knowledge, like class is features, anybody, Is anybody still using alignment? Really? <laughs> Come on. But it would be weird if alignment switched. Who cares about alignment? doesn't matter. And they can swap it back should as say, well. It should say, you keep all of your ideals, bonds, and personality traits. Mm. And flaws. Yeah. <laughs> But I think it's fun. I mean, people maybe, in the village could suddenly be switched pick up, and spies Or maybe pick up a and, new flaw. Yeah, it, or players could choose to switch brains. Or maybe brains you get some of the flaws weird. in the previous body. You have some things that you pick up along with the transfer. That's kind of even more fun idea, too. Yeah. It's kind of funny, though. Uh, she's tormented by that the fact that she cannot recreate her own miracle the unbreakable heart. She tries to understand it and recreate it, but fails every time. She is trying to cons- constantly trying to find Elise, but can't find her. The people of Lamordia view Mordenheim as a luminary and savior. She does not understand why and loathes the distractions they create. They create. So maybe there's them bother- bothering her too. I'd play her less as like a evil figure trying to dominate people and more as a just trying to do her own thing, which is a little messed up as well. Yeah. And a little crazy genius much like frankenstein uh uh here give me a d10 for an adventure two two medical student emil bolenbach strives to craft revolutionary flesh golems such as the ones made entirely of doppelgangers or beholders his patrons enlist the party to aid his research so it's helping someone create a flesh golem type story you know I could be scouring throughout the land, talking with Mordenheim, stealing secrets from <clears throat> Mordenheim. Why Why would you want to be making a, a, a golem? Because you're paid to. That's creepy and weird. <laughs> Brave robbers. Or you've been enlisted to by dark powers mm. <laughs> of sorts. It's the only way out, baby. Yeah. Or perhaps you need such a flesh golem for some other reason. Again, there's other thing, fun thing. A murderous, jaundiced whale is hunting Ludendorff's ships. <laughs> The superstitious captain. So it's not really white; it's more yellow. Kind of gross. The superstitious captain Furster of the city's navy asks the party to learn why, uh, why by seeking Winter's Mouth, a crack in the ice where the sea supposedly whispers secrets. And so that could be fun, icy sea travel and uh, Moby Dick style adventure going on here. Uh, I love the (laughs) a jaundiced whale, like a white whale is like sort of a symbol that's sort of funny here's one more for you prospectors seeking rare gas pockets discover numerous well-preserved bog mummies dating back to Lamordia's ancient druidic peoples wow they seek help do they help. have a stat block for the bog mummies I'm sure it's just regular mummies because uh, I actually or have can... a bog mummy oh, stat block oh, from but it's like another it's another from another compendium from another time as well and I've adapted to 5e but it's got such a great picture with it though that I love it um, but yeah bog mummy's kind of a thing it's been around before as well. Hmm. Interesting. I put my bog mummy in the swamp of Berez. Because <laughs> that's where you would find a bog mummy. Mm. 
But, of course, the prospectors then ask for help from the party when the mummies vanish and undead animals begin terrorizing their camp. You can do some sort of, like, Mountains of Badness style thing with this if you wanted as well with some old druidic people who have long gone and left strange undead mummies and curses left within the ice. It, it, it doesn't seem to, like, I mean, a lot of stories like that, which I love, I mean, they they just they could almost be based anywhere. I mean, the one thing about set and setting is a little bit of like, okay, what, if it's a seacoasty sort of town, and maybe it's a northern seacoasty town, and maybe the winters are a bit rougher there, but, you know, what kind of comes with that, that sort of, you know, old-fashioned sort of, uh, mm. you know, storms and seas and things like that sort of want to play to it more. And hence maybe the whaling story is an interesting one. Um, but again, yeah, are your players aware of the, the dark Lord? Are you trying to get to the dark Lord? Is it part of the, the arc? Are you trying to get out of this land? These mm. are some of the questions I guess that, that as a DM you have to answer. I mean, cause you could do a whale setting without being in a Ravenloft horror setting, right? Like you could do, that I mean, they have to ask yourself what what does the horror setting and horror genre bring to my game, um, and how am I going to do it? You know, if you feel like you are trapped on board a ship with, you know, maybe you're transporting something that's in a in a case or crate, and it's making all sorts of noises and just like lots of do not disturb signs on it and heavy chains bolting it down, <laughs> and you're in a storm and it suddenly the chains break. And yeah. the monster is freed, and you fight for a bit, but then it goes over the side. You can do a very thing-like get, thing with this. You and know? then you get into the, to port, and you think, oh, well, that's the last we're going to see of that creature that washed over the side. And then, sure enough, you know, on the beach the following day, something terrible is found dead. Or, is, you know, something's found dead, killed by something terrible. Right. And, and then you realize that the there thing is you've no. been transporting has been released upon the town and you must yeah. find it and then and then of course you might want to trace it back where did it come from and that's how you get back to finding the dark lord creating sure things and ah you've brought my creation back well done well yeah maybe the only way to stop it is to find its creator and uh or you keep tracking it maybe it's on a path to try and get back to its creator mm. and as you track this this thing and of course it makes me always wonder a little bit so flesh golems aren't that high of cr right mm. um so if you don't want your player characters just killing said monster very quickly either you've got to have very low level characters or you got to really buff Beef the heck the, yeah. yeah out of the flesh column mm. um either which is totally acceptable and okay to do um and maybe do both actually uh so that the players can level up a little bit as they go along and the monster becomes a little less impossible and yeah but yeah i think i think a lot of the things with the genre of horror the thing we're playing with here is that you can't you can't always play the same old D D where you know the players just murder hobo kill everything um they've got to be able to to sort of sense danger and being able to like mm. you know worry that if they if they miss this creature tonight that it's going to kill again and that that you know i don't know you gotta sure. find or even like the idea that there's there's the... dying wish curses that are introduced i believe in a later chapter which then are like if you just if they're senselessly killing everything they come across consider leaving dying curses upon players with that sort of idea right uh another fun location is the sleeping beast 
overgrown with bizarrely warped forests. This jagged mountain range stretches for miles along the domain's southern border. <laughs> that is also from the old one. A blanket of eerie calm hangs over its peaks, the result of high levels of radioactivity in the strange what? mineral deposits that vein the region. Really? So you could have some like mute, mutation radiation that, stuff. Too. That wasn't there before. I, I also think you could go full like the thing type thing if you wanted, or Among Us, Sus, Sussy Baka, perhaps. Right. With it if you wanted to. A uh, warped beast with lopsided anatomy, extra heads, and stranger qualities roam here, ambushing the desperate miners. Or perhaps the miners are infected with some weird alien aberrant radioactivity, whatever, right? Interesting. This could also be a location for that Mountains of Badness style thing, where people here just go insane. So it was called the Sleeping Beast, right? The Sleeping Beast, yes. Yes, yeah, that used to be there as well. The mountain's name stems from legends originating uh, with the bog-dwelling precursors of Lemuria's people who believe that the range was actually the single unfathom was a single unfathomably large creature in the veins of strange minerals with a beast's bones and blood. They punish anyone who harvests minerals from the sleeping beast, since doing so risks waking the beast and precipitating an apocalyptic disaster of radioactivity. Well, you know, here's an idea to tie into that maybe as well. There was a, in the original one, another island off the shore called Demise, which was mm. home to a hideous Medusa named Althea. Mm. Um, but what if the idea of like a, a Medusa, instead of being, you know, the, the sort of Greek version that we often think of. There's an Isle of Agony here too. What if it was instead, yeah, what if it said it was like some sort of radioactive sort of mutation-y type thing. Sure, and you can introduce radiation scores. There's a good Kankua video on that if you want to talk about like magic radiation. Could be something else to do. Uh, mm -hmm. Anyways, and maybe just tie the whole, you know, instead of being turned to stone, turned into, or maybe it still has- Mutated a, in some yeah, way. Some yeah. other effect on you that's similar to it. Could yeah, there's fun stuff like fun sea boat encounters, deep icy mine encounters or blizzard or terrain stuff like yeah. that that are fairly like bleak and scary you know the towns are all corrupt obviously you're filled with strange people who are all twisted and radiated or mutated or bizarre in some fashion and that there's strange experiments and golems and undead roaming this terrible winter landscape combining game of thrones with the thing with among us with you know Whatever you want, really. I mean, plus the, some of the stuff, Mountains of Madness style stuff, plus Frankenstein, plus... Ah, I think there's a lot of potential in this realm, too. I think it's quite cool. So there you go. There you go. So this, none of these things have to do with being, like, neighbors of Barovia, necessarily. These mm -hmm. aren't... These are all very happy to stand alone by themselves, be places where you can run a small campaign or even a big campaign... Um, I think Lamordia is good for a big campaign. Well, yeah, even. it's got enough settings that with, you know, you could treat it a little bit like the way you do Barovia, where there's, you know, seven or eight sort of major sites on the map that aren't actually all that far apart, mm. um, but are kind of, and each have got part of their own little story arc, but that they're all, that you find a way to, to have a big story that connects them all um, and brings you eventually back to Mordenheim and her creation yeah and her her terrible backstory something that you know the players find out have to figure out about her to yeah release her or or to kill her 
Yeah. Well, we have now flown over easily the hour mark oh, discussing yeah. the domains of dread. Thank you for joining us this week. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm back into the mists then. See ya. <laughs> All right. See you, everyone. Bye. Bye.